You're also known for the three words, kindness drives business. Does it really? 100%. Not kicking butt and taking names. There's a time for that. It is so much easier to build up a team than to build a new team. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Hey there, Lead the Team. Welcome back to another great episode. Today, I have for you Jen Whalen, who's the Chief Marketing and Communications Officer over at Smart Media Technologies. And previously, she has worked for, I mean, so many amazing technology brands. Check it out. Intel, T-Mobile, Microsoft, Qualcomm, Verizon, Yahoo. I mean, can you imagine? Well, you don't have to imagine because it's happening right here right now with Jen Whalen. Jen, welcome to Lead the Team. Oh my gosh, Ben. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor and joy to be here. Yes. Well, I I feel the same way. I'm so glad we got connected and I got to start out by asking about a qualification I did not mention, which is you're a native Alaskan, correct? Yes. Yes, that's actually probably exactly where we should take this because I've got some great Alaska stories. It has been many years since I lived in Alaska, so most of it is hype. Um, but I did have an amazing childhood. Like, when it, so how old were you when you left Alaska? I was 18. 18, okay. Was, and where in Alaska did you grow up? I grew up in Juneau, the capital yeah. city, but I grew up, my grandparents had um, homesteader land. So we were out in the woods um, when I was born by the Mendenhall Glacier. They had a plot of land that they were given, and it was off the grid originally. So they had 10 children, of which my mom is one of. And I ran around in the woods with a bunch of cousins and really had an amazing life. And then we moved into a paved road, which was big time, if you know what I mean, living on a paved road. And now here I am today. Wow. Well, so... I hadn't been to Alaska until this summer and I went to Juneau. I was in Juneau for about three days and we stayed with a, in a bed and breakfast there. That was awesome. With was someone it called that was Pearson's Pond. Was it called Pearson's Pond? There are only a few. It was not. It was <laughs> okay. not. Um, yeah, I will have to, I will have to re- I remember that it was from someone that had been there for, it had been there. The house had been in their family for multiple generations. She's a family member. And they had redone this house in the downtown area. And you could walk there uh, to downtown. And Gorgeous. She, I, I guarantee you went to the Red Dog Saloon. Yeah. I, I Well, yeah. I, you can't miss that. I waitressed right and bartended my way through college going back in the summers and serving Alaskan Amber at the Red Dog Saloon. Well, multiple people said, hey, that is like the demarcation line between this is what all the tour companies have built. This is what the real sort of Juno life is, and that's the place. All right. So I got to ask you, I don't want to get too far off because I've got a lot of businessy type leadership questions <laughs> to ask you, for sure. but I find, and I think for, I think for people to listen here, you know, Alaska took a while to become a state. They were, as I understand, you had federal marshals, not police and the federal marshals were kind of 
really they, they were busy preventing Ill illegal whaling activities right so there weren't tons of them around maybe so you had to kind of it's like this rugged frontier mindset that may have lasted longer in alaska than it did other states i would agree with that am, am i on something here today happening okay. still today a little bit so what can leaders learn from you and sort of this alaskan mindset and i think it's interesting from your perspective because You've been in Alaska, but you also worked in the in the lower. They kept calling us the lower forty eight the whole time we yeah, were there. The lower forty eight. Uh, I would go to Seattle for the weekend and call it down south. Down yeah, south of Seattle, and so <laughs> I really, I really felt like I unearthed something that I didn't know about, which is like an Alaskan mindset, and it's kind of leadery. It's kind of tough. It's sort of like improv, uh, improvisational. Uh, we take care of each other. All these things, yeah. very frontiers to my mind. What is the rest of the world, like, what can we learn from Alaska? You know, in Alaska, you just take a breath and nature will work it out. Like you as a leader, sometimes you cannot course correct things immediately in the moment. But if you take a breath and you're like, I'm going to let this play out, I'm going to let the chips fall where they may some, you know, we get very anxious. We get very unpatient, impatient, whatever the, uh, mm. not being patient where it is. <laughs> and oftentimes it doesn't take a sheer force act. I think we need to be a little bit more patient and let the entire ecosystem do its work because mm. Oftentimes in Alaska, that's the way that the seasons change in the way that if you have not cut wood for the winter, you're going to be hosed and you know when when winter comes and you don't have enough cords of wood in your backyard and you live off of a wood stove then you have learned your lesson the hard way and nobody has to force you to cut your wood you learn you learn it one time okay. and then you actually never go without cutting your wood again wow powerful so yeah sometimes learning the hard way is the most memorable lesson yes it is very powerful Wow. Okay. Oh, I won't run to spend too much time on that, but I just want to go there. I thought I could talk to you another couple hours on Alaska, but one of the takeaways is that what you just said about how we, sometimes we obsess and as leaders about training everybody. And I, I do training. I like to train people. I'm, I'm a believer, but sometimes there is something about people learning their own lessons. And those sometimes there's the deepest and most memorable and, uh, you'll cut your wood next winter. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Okay. I want to look at, we can talk about darkness and light and how much dark you have in the light. We're not going to go on all that, but it is, it is an incredible story. Y'all check out Alaska. Ask Jen about Alaska later. I would yeah. love that. I can talk for hours. I have lots of recommendations. But, but I, by the way, Mindenhall Glacier is a sight to see. Um, and I can't believe your grandparents grew up right there. It's the most yeah. accessible glacier in the world, right? So you can you don't have to hike for three or four days to get there. Nope. Uh, nope. Or, it's just a few hours you can see it. And you can actually land on top of it. You can take a helicopter and land up on the glacier, which is an, an incredible experience. Yeah, so so y'all check out this area. All right. So one of the things that you're known for uh in, in my reading here is saying that collaboration truly is the greatest differentiator. What do you mean by that? For me, it's really obvious because I'm like, hey, if I think of if I if I'm working alone in a silo, 
I can give you everything that's in my brain. I can give you my full heart. I can give you all my energy. But if I collaborate with somebody else and they can pressure check and they can make it 5%, 10%, 50% better, I'm going to give you a better outcome if I have collaborated with somebody else who thinks even slightly differently than I do, who has a slightly different vantage point. So that's where I think that collaboration equals a better outcome. If I'm making a cake, I can make you a great cake. But if somebody else comes along and says, hey, what if we stirred in some chocolate chips? And I'm like, ooh, you just made it better. So that's where I think collaboration comes in is that X percent better. And the more people you collaborate with, the more you can continue to make it increasingly better. Now, at some point you deliver. At some point you have to like stop adding chocolate chips to your cake and actually put it in the oven, frost it and deliver it. So I think there's a nice balance there between collaboration and delivery. But I do believe that with collaboration, all things are better. So what... I'm trying to th- think of it from like the leader st- leadership standpoint. So, so th- this bold statement of that collaboration is the is truly the uh, greatest differentiator. There are some leaders that are not very collaborative, right? They take charge. We're leading it. We're going to do this. We're going to push this through. And you say, wait, 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 wait a minute. Uh, we haven't gotten all the perspectives. We haven't gotten the chocolate chips in there. If someone's like that, it may sound good to go out and get the chocolate chips, but uh, Frankly, it gets muddy. The recipe may not come out that well. And even worse, we may miss our deadline. And and, and by the way, I want to get your perspective on this, especially because you worked across so many darn organizations. And (laughs) Intel, T-Mobile, Microsoft, Qualcomm, Verizon, Yahoo. There ain't no way all these organizations are, are great collaborative leaders. Probably some are. You've probably seen a lot of different ways. What what are uh, some of the things that have popped out for you uh, in all these different organizations, some of the greatest ways to approach collaboration from a leadership perspective? Yeah, for me personally, I love my my direct reports like that, that leadership team. We're all in it together. So in a team of 100 with five direct reports, I will go to the direct reports and I will say, This is what I'm struggling with, or this is what I think needs to happen. Let's have a quick discussion. A, am I on the right track of what needs to happen? And if so, okay, now what, how can we get to a solution? We have three days. We have five days. We have three months. We have three years. You've got to set Mm. some time parameters on there um, because I have now taught them that I like to go to my leaders. They like to do the same thing. So they want to go to their leaders and you can create too much, you know, you can put too much time in there where you're not getting to that deadline. So I think setting the deadline for this is how long we're going to brainstorm and collaborate early on is really important. So it's what I hear in that deadline is essential. And I, and I love that, right? It, yes, Ben, there are all kinds of books about collaboration, but the rule of give them a framework, give them a deadline, take this idea, brainstorm solutions, but it's y'all, it's, it's due Friday. Yeah. Yeah, Um, there's a personality and I actually use um, the personality of the founder and the leader is critical. Even when you're looking at a giant company like Intel, I went to work at Intel as a junior finance analyst. You know, I was a finance marketing double major and I went in as finance because Intel was where I wanted to work and that's who they were hiring. But it was because Andy Grove had been Times Man of the Year. 
That was why I chose Intel initially. Hmm. So I can talk about Andy's personality. And of course, Andy Grove was not hanging out with the finance analysts. He, we weren't like collaborating every day. But then even you look at Microsoft and you look at Bill Gates and his personality and then Erwin mm-hmm. Jacobs and his personality at Qualcomm. Qualcomm was much more collaborative mm-hmm. than Microsoft was. And, you know, a lot of people would say, oh, it's like we're playing swarm soccer. We have to run around and get everybody's opinion before we score a goal. And mm-hmm. I had to learn more about myself. So there were there are companies out there that are super collaborative and other companies that are much more individualistic. And I had to go on the journey of figuring out who I was before I would know where I fit best. Or did I love playing swarm soccer and did I not see it as swarm soccer? But yet I I found that it was decision making that stuck. That's what I loved so much about collaboration was that when you collaborate and then you make a decision, it sticks. Whereas I felt like at a company that was a little more individualistic, you make a decision, it gets undone because then somebody flies in from left field with a better idea. Then you redo Mm. the decision and that can be very, very frustrating for the group of people Uh, that are competing against the decision. In my corporate life, there were many times like that where we had to redo rework because we didn't get input in advance. We got a result. And sometimes I think that result was pretty good. It may be good enough, but sometimes it wasn't. And uh, we ended up having to rework a lot of stuff. So, uh, you know, so many good points. I think you made another good point there, Jen, that as a leader, think about the experiences you've had and where you operate best. And I like how it matched your leadership style with that of the organization uh, as you go along, thinking about the founder. You're also known for the three words, kindness drives business. Does it really? Just kind of 100%. Tell me. 100%. Not kicking butt and taking names. Um, you know, there's a time for that. I think that you can <laughs> be being kind when you're kicking butt and taking names. Um, you can do it, you can do it in a kind way. And I say it, okay. you know, half, you know, half joking, but I do believe it is so much easier to build up a team than to build a new team. Mm. And People that work in an environment where they see kindness, they actually take that on. So you can't become something that you don't see. And so leaders that actually showcase that kindness is the way they operate, you are encouraged. I can give you eight hours. Well, I can give you 24 hours in every Mm day. And that's just me, me alone. If I encourage a hundred people or eight people or 20 people, I am giving so much more back to the business. Mm -hmm. And the way that I have found through trial Mm -hmm. and error over almost 30 years is that when I lead with kindness, I actually get results so much faster. The results are so much more creative because if I'm being kind to another human, they're willing to take a chance. They're willing because if they fall down, they know I'm not going to like point and laugh, kick them. And like, that's not going to happen. I'm going to be like, hey, let me help you back up. That was an awesome idea you had. Let's just tweak it a little bit and then let's work on it together. And I, you know, honestly think that you can deliver against it. So mm. kindness gives people wings. It gives people wings to be more creative. It gives them wings to try new things. It gives them the opportunity to be kind to other people around them. It's an organization that you want to work in. Like if you're trying to attract talent, I would so much rather go work in a company where everyone got along and was helping each other than where people were trying to undercut 
and take a more negative approach. The old adage of you catch more flies with honey than vinegar? Yes, 100%. Mm, I love it. So shifting gears a little bit, what was it like as a single mom with your vision and, and sort of your, your mindset focused on getting to the C-suite? Yeah, it, it's very interesting. I never had the mindset of getting to the C-suite. It was, and I always tell people there are lots of different chapters. There were chapters where my son was playing multiple sports and I wasn't working 10, 12, 14 hour days. It just, there wasn't, I had to help him with his homework. I had to cook him dinner. There's only so many hours in the day. Mm -hmm. Now that he has grown and has his own family, it's very different. I'm happy to travel for somebody or to pitch in more because I don't have those same responsibilities at home. Um, we go through different chapters, but I, I actually had him during spring break of my freshman year of college. So wow. even when I went into Intel, he was starting kindergarten. So by the time I started my career, he was, you know, of school age. Now kindergarten is, you know, partial days and he, mm -hmm. he went to like club splash after school. I think the biggest thing for me is you can't beat yourself up, whether it's kids mm -hmm. or pets or family members, you know, we're getting, you know, my friends and I are getting into the age where we're talking a lot about taking care of our parents and who's got parents moving back in with them and who, you know, it's different conversations. But regardless, if you have family commitments, that comes first and that benefits your job. Mm. There was when I was, it was mm. my very first day at Critio and it was International Women's Day. And I was just participating in the back row watching like Mark Grabowski was on a panel with some amazing women and they were all chatting and a woman stood up in the front row and asked a question. And she said, I feel like I've only brought half myself back to work because I'm coming back from mat leave and I'm feeling really guilty. How can I contribute at 50%? And I about came out of my skin <laughs> And I, I stood up in the back and I was like, I'm sorry, I'm not on the panel, but can I address this one? And they're like, wow, the new girl's standing up real quick. And I said, you did not bring 50% back. You brought 150% back. Do you understand your perspective mm -hmm. has grown? You now can relate to customers that have kids. You can relate to coworkers that have, you have so much more richness in your life because this thing happened to you. Mm -hmm. If you travel internationally, you bring more back to the company, like grow yourself. It's good for business. And, mm -hmm. you know, she kind of put her shoulders back and she was like, really? Do you really think I'm a better employee now that I've come back from mat leave? And I was like, yes, I do. And if you want to talk about this offline, I'm happy to. And we ended up having a relationship. And I just want people to have that confidence that they bring more. Like at the time, I was petrified to be going to Intel as a right out of undergrad with a child. And they were extremely welcoming. My whole entire start group, we started in these pods of finance people and my entire start group, I am still friends with many of them today. Mm. They were super welcoming. So there were some nuances there. There, I have a lot of really funny stories about having my son in college and there, there were, it was tricky, but now, you know, looking back, it's like I had so much help and he brought more perspective to me. I looked at the world differently in a more diverse way because I had something that nobody else had. You know, many other most of the other freshmen in college were not bringing around a baby with them. 
I got a chill listening to that story uh, about the maternity leave and, and how, what you set up in the meeting in your first your first week on the job. Incredible, and I I think that can inspire a lot of people, and even beyond. You know, those things. I mean, it was interesting how that that how powerful a mindset shift can be. From hey, you know, I, I have this, I have all these responsibilities outside of work, and they make me less than as an employee and as a contributor and as a leader. And you stood up and said, "Wait, wait, wait. that actually makes you more than a hundred percent." And you may have provided. I mean, what a gift to everybody in the room because it's not just parenthood; it's all those things that we have that, that make us a human. And if we can embrace them in a positive way and challenge and, and, and you know, I'm, I imagine like marketing, you can be better at marketing after being a parent. Absolutely. Cause you have a broader perspective, yeah. right? I mean, it's, it's, it's such a linear uh, possibility there. Want to boost your productivity and decision-making get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox a great resource whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com slash insight. So anyway, what what a wonderful story. Although I'm wondering this boldness you had to stand up that day. Is this something that was fostered in the Alaskan bush? Or is this just part of your personality? Or was there a moment where you said, you know what, I'm going to stand up it starts speaking my mind. Yeah, I think it's probably a combination of a lot of those things. Um, when I think back to the one moment, sometimes it's a make or break. Sometimes something is going to be taken away from you that you want so badly and you know you have to dig deep. And, you know, it's maybe a silly story, but when I first got to the University of Oregon, and my son was, you know, hip, hip size. He was still probably a year and a half old. And I got the keys to the student housing apartment. It was a post-World War II kind of refurb. I, I just drove back there a few years ago when I was on campus speaking. I was like, I cannot believe I lived here. This is a dump. But you know, it was exactly what I could, you know, it was student housing for, you know, families. And it was this one, one bedroom, little 400 square foot linoleum apartment. And, um, they give me the keys. And at the time I was, I was afraid to let anybody know that I didn't have all the answers. And she said, do you have any questions? And I was like, Nope. She's like, well, there's the phone on the wall. You just have to get that set up, which true. Nobody had cell phones. And she said, just get electricity and then you'll be, you're, you should be good to go. And I was like, okay, thank you. And she left. And I thought to myself, electricity? Are you kidding me? That doesn't come with the apartment. That seems like a necessity. How do you rent somebody an apartment without electricity? I don't understand this. Now, it's like four o'clock in the afternoon. I've flown in with my baby. I have an apartment now and I have no electricity. So I get back in the car. I drive to the grocery store where there's a phone booth and I have quarters and so I take my baby into a phone booth. And if anybody out there is listening and remembers what a phone booth is like, where the phone book hangs down on a big metal rod. And so I have a baby in a phone booth. I'm using one knee to kind of balance the phone book. And please do not hold this against me. Do not judge. I was very young and I was panicking. 
where do you look? Like P for power, L for lights, E for electricity. That's not where you find it because I've looked. <laughs> and I'm wondering like, okay, it's getting late. I'm in a state where I do not know a single person. I wanted to go to Oregon. Long story. My family's all back in Alaska. I have their only grandchild and I'm, you know, who knows what I'm, I'm bold. I'm doing, trying to do my own thing. And I have to ask for help because I'm, I don't know where else to turn. So I call home and I'm an only child. So my parents answer on speakerphone and they ask a bazillion questions. Did you arrive safely? How was the flight? How's our grandchild? What's the apartment? Blah, blah, blah. blah. Now I know I'm going to run out of quarters. I'm like, uh, excuse me. You know, I said, George, everything's great. Everything's wonderful. It's perfect. One itsy bitsy teeny weeny problem. I'm not sure how to get electricity. <laughs> and my mom loses her mind. She flips out. I'm so far away and she can't help me. And she thinks I'm out in the wild unprotected. And she's like, what are you doing? Why are you all set on this college thing? You were the best waitress in town. I'm not sure what more you're looking for. You need to come home. This is ridiculous. Like she was so scared, angry, you know, and she takes a breath. And my dad says, hey, kiddo. And I was like, yeah, dad. And he said, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. He, he was not like, listen, dummy. I know where it's He's like, I'm not sure. But maybe, maybe just try looking in the front cover. Sure enough, that's where all the municipality stuff is. That's a light, you know, fire, police, and the electricity company is listed. Willamette Light and Power. And I was like, oh my gosh, dad, I found it. Thanks so much. I only have so many quarters. Gotta go. Love you. Bye. Click, you know. And I called and got myself some electricity. And I walked out of that phone booth with my baby on my hip. And nothing was going to stop me after that. Like, it was just like, I was like, okay, world, watch me. Like, I'm going to go through college and I'm going to do my thing because look at, I got myself some electricity, you know? Now, the moral of the story is I had to ask for help. I had to know who to go to, who loved me, who was in my corner, who was not going to make fun of me for not knowing how to get electricity and figure it out. And I think that that's probably where that boldness I was like, wow, I was bold and it worked. And so I'm going to keep flexing that muscle. Wow. Sometimes challenges like that reveal so much potential. And it sounds like, yeah, I, like you realize you had the capacity to, to take on the world in that moment. What does the expression, hold my beer, watch me? Oh, yeah. That's when somebody thinks, you know, when my mom's like, I don't think you should do this. I think this is beyond you. And I'm like, oh, really? Then oh, hold my beer. Like, to some degree, I think that phrase comes from you're in a bar and you're hold, you're standing there and somebody wants to fight. And you're like, you hand your beer to your friends so that you can like, get into a fight. So I'm not a real physical no. fighter. I'm not, you know, I'm not somebody that's going to really throw down anymore. Um, but I still love that phrase. You think I can't do something. You have now motivated me so greatly in order to accomplish it. Now, I think there's a fine line because I don't think that we should be on this earth to prove to other people. I got in that trap. And I even when I moved to New York City, I had many people like, oh, Jen, your career, it's really taken off. But wow, that Manhattan, I don't think that's for the Alaska girl. And I was like, oh, really? Watch me. Like, and I just waited for oh. an opportunity to move to Manhattan. And it was that city, uh, it was tough. 
uh, especially the first year. Um, but I had some amazing leaders like Beth Ann Eason and Molly Spillman who real and, and it, I ended up growing immensely in New York city, Yvonne Markman. Like I had people who kind of helped me through that process and I was ultimately successful at the end, but I do love the feeling I get from tackling something that somebody else doesn't think I can do. But I think I've learned that I have to want it for myself. I can't just accomplish something because I'm proving to somebody else that I can do it. Oh, yeah. It started with, I'm going to prove you wrong. And then as you got older and were tackling bigger challenges, you found that inner. Yes. But shout out to the Red Dog Saloon. Yes. You learned a lot there, it sounds like. I, and you were the best waitress slash bartender in town, um, according to your mom. According to my mom, yes. According to so, my mom. And mother knows best in that situation. That's right. She That's probably right. visited. Y'all, y'all check it out, Juno. You know, maybe is your picture around there? They have the, the, the pictures no, of other oh, great celebrities. I do not believe. Okay. I do not believe that. I'm hoping that it is not anywhere in town. But well, it, you can't you know, miss it if you go to Juno. Right. It's there. You can't, it's a great place to go back and visit. I highly recommend it. And I still have very, very close friends. There is something about growing up in Juneau that you, you see very closely connected to the families and to the people that you grew that. up with. It's very much lend a helping hand. Yeah. And for, and for the listeners, uh, it's landlocked, right? Yeah. It's like you can't get there other than by air or by sea, even though it's yeah. on land. I guess the terrain is so brutal around the city. You're not driving. Yeah, you're right at the base of a mountain and you have the glacier. So they have discussed trying to spend bazillions of dollars and building a road out of Juneau, but it really gets uh, shot down every time it goes to vote. Well, you know how you got to get there, y'all, by air or by sea. Yes. So let's talk open door leader. Something that I know that you've, you've put a lot of thought behind. And to me, you say open door, it can be a catch-22. Agreed. Uh, What's your perspective? I think there are pros and cons. I think you have to know about them before you make that claim that you're an open door leader. But I do believe by far the pros outweigh the cons. I feel like the more I know about the rest of the team, the better leader I can be. Hmm. If I know what somebody's whole self is, then I can help coach and guide and mentor and give them the right assignments and and kind of lead them through that process. And in order to get to know them, you know, because that can be, you know, people, a lot of people are more closed off. They want to, it's, this is my personal life, or this is, you know, a little bit beyond work. And so my philosophy has always been, I will show my cards. I will be a kind of an open leader. I talk a lot about my family at work. I talk a lot about travels or struggles that I might have or something new I might be learning. So I share in order to open the door up for other people to share. And I always let them know that. Like Mm. the reason why I'm, I'm sharing every week, I send out a weekly email that's the conversations email. And it can be very silly. It can be how did avocado toast get to be a main on the main menu? Like it's avocado and it's toast. Like it's now it's a main dish. Like how did that happen? So there could be a little bit more silly weekly emails yes. like that, but okay. it's me sharing so that it, it makes more people feel more comfortable to share back. Yeah. And if they do share back, it's not just because I love people and I love getting to know them. 
I feel like it makes me a better leader because I can address them kind of on their terms or walking in their footsteps. Yeah, I like that. And it it puts a twist on the idea of, hey, open door means my door is physically open or my chat's always open for you just to interrupt me. No, open door leader means I'm going to open the door to who I am as a person, not just as a business personality in order to uh, generate connection and reciprocation of that trust. Yeah. And, and so when's the time that you opened your, sort of had the open door leadership approach, could be avocado toast, uh, but whatever it was, and, and what's a maybe a result that, a, a surprising result that you got back? You know, there, I think, is a lot of brilliance in the organization. I tend to act as an extrovert. I, I love meeting people. I love talking to people. I think people would label me as an extrovert. I don't really know what exact those exact characteristics are. But I think there are a lot of people that might be on the slightly quieter or more introverted side who don't speak up in an all hands, who don't stand up middle of the International Women's Day panel discussion and speak up. And and we have to seek out people um, on their, what in, in a format that makes them comfortable. And so there was a gentleman who I would say was a little more introverted. He led PR um, in France. And I think I was at Critio at the time and I was at um, uh, DeMexico and he was there covering it. And we were able to sit down over breakfast and Funny enough, he referenced one of my weekly conversations that had been many months old. And he said, hey, I just wanted to follow up. Now, he was somebody who would never reply an email. He never asked a question in an all hands. He needed that one-on-one -on -one FaceTime over breakfast, comfortable. But I had laid the groundwork over many, many, many months of mm. putting out there different topics, different um and for him, he was referencing that his dad used to make paella and how that really, and I had made a, a, I had made a funny comment about how my dog thought he could swim and he couldn't swim. He was an English bulldog and he would sink like a rock, but in his heart, he really could swim. He put on the life jacket and he would prance around in the water and he thought he could swim. And no one was taking away from him, my dog, that he was a swimmer. And this gentleman said, my family teases me now that my dad has passed away and I still make his paella and it's horrible, but my family will eat it after they tell me how horrible it is. He goes, but I'm never going to stop making it because in my heart, I can make my dad's paella. And I, it was so touching. Here I had written a silly story about my dog, and yet that was our connection point. And that was him sharing with me. Cool. Yeah. You know, the, and, and, and it was over breakfast. It was many months later. But then I knew where he was coming from. I knew where, you know, what mattered to him and how he was, you know, living away from his family and things like that. So I do think that it's come back 10x. You know, the the fact that what people share with me and then I see them sharing with their teams and it's not a leadership style for everybody. It just happens to be the one that makes me the most happy. And also I've seen the best results. I love it. And it's such a practical example. You know, yeah. don't forget to share your share about yourself as a leader. At any level that you're comfortable, but share something, dang it, that's not about your annual goals. Although make sure you've shared those. And, and you don't really know when it's going to show up. 
uh, you know, it could show up down the road in conversations. Um, and it just seems like a wise, wise strategy for all leaders to consider for themselves. Now, what are three success strategies in addition to the one that you just mentioned that you believe every employee should take note of? Success strategies. I, I do think it's knowing your authentic self because, you know, there, there are certain things that you could ask me to do that are just not in my wheelhouse. Like I am, you know, probably not going to ice skate my way to gold, but there, I think it's knowing your authentic self is probably the best strategy to start with so that you have your toolkit, you know, who you are, you know, that you know what you can accomplish and you're willing to kind of tackle big challenges. So authentic self is number one. What's your one. favorite way to reveal that? And yeah, and by the way, you've done an amazing job in this interview of, of sharing a lot of that, but is there an approach you take regularly now to sort of think about this or how you're reflecting upon your own authentic yeah, self? Yeah, you know, I do, uh, I bounce ideas off of people. So getting back to the collaboration, for me, I um, I write two well, it, it ends up being one. I write an annual letter to my friends and family that is just like, hey, everybody, it's I usually do it before Martin Luther King Day. That's my goal. You get through the holidays and you have those two weeks in January. And I just think about what are what do I want to accomplish this year? And honestly, it can be anything from I'm going to do 25 sit ups a day, something silly like that, or I'm going to change careers. You know, like it, it can be big or small. And for me, claiming it to people that I care about holds me accountable. So having an accountability partner is one of those success metrics. Because if I don't tell you, Ben, if I don't tell you that I'm supposed to be doing 25 sit-ups a day and I don't do them, no one will know but me. And, and so, sure, you have to hold yourself accountable and there's power in that. But having accountability partners I think it's the same way that I had a dear friend years ago that we would go to 24 hour fitness in the morning and do our Stairmaster. So this was a hundred years ago, but I was on the Stairmaster, but she, I would show up even if I woke up and was like, I do not want to go. I was like, I can't let Sherry show up at the gym alone. What a bad friend I would be. I was more concerned about being a good friend than I was really the results I was going to get from the Stairmaster. And she was my accountability partner and we can mm. do that at work as well. So I think know yourself, have an accountability partner, and then like laugh it off. Like we're, you're going to do things and you're going to fail and you're going to be wrong. And there's going to be a leader that comes into a meeting and if they're having a bad day and they might be a little bitey, as I call it, where you, you've thought about a great idea and you like throw it out there like, hey, why don't we do X? And they're like, nope, not doing it. And they're very quick to shut it mm. down laugh it off. Be like, yep, oh, swing at the next one. Like nice. never swinging for the fences. Oh, yeah. Like it's okay. Of course. And you can't say I'm never going to speak up again because that big leader shot me down or they cut me off in the middle of a meeting. You don't know where they're coming from. Like who knows? They could have burned their breakfast that morning. Like just give people grace and assume good intentions. Like yeah. Was it kind of a jerk move that you got cut off or you got shot down in the middle of a meeting? Yeah. We hope that we hope that doesn't happen. But don't let somebody take away your flame. Like, don't like swing again. Like, OK, they had a bad day. It doesn't mean you have to have a bad day. Get up to bat again, y'all. That's right. That's right. 
going back just a second, I really liked that letter approach and using it as a level of accountability, but also a point of reflection. I think I think that, and that's a great time of year. So you've heard kind of what you finished your, you know, all the way through December 31st, you're starting the new year. And then you're taking some time to really reflect on how the year went and what you'd like to do next. And then you're making those declarations out into the world. So, so powerful. What What's the 2% rule that you talk oh, about? Oh, I love the 2% rule. The 2% rule. And I honestly, can I have racked my brain? I might've been on an offsite somewhere. I did not think up the 2% rule myself. I swear I heard it from another leader or a facilitator um, but it stuck with me. And the 2% rule is that none of us can be 100% right, no matter what. Ben, you and I are having a conversation, and I say something that I feel so adamant about. I know is to be true. Something so, so the sky is blue. And you say to me, well, Jen, actually, the sky is purple. And I'm like, if I believe I am 100% right, and I leave no leeway. There's no 2%. There's 100% I'm right. I will physically lean back and kind of check out of the conversation. I might mm-hmm. cross my arms. I might roll my eyes. I might look away. But I will physically disengage. And if I believe if I believe that I can only be 98% right, no matter how strongly I feel about the topic, you have to be at least 2% right. I will lean in. I will ask you Mm -hmm. questions. Ben, do you wear contacts? Are you looking through a window? Are you in your car? Do you love stained glass? Like I will seek out Mm -hmm. why you believe the sky is purple. And I'm going to learn something in that conversation. And I may still believe at the end of it that the sky is blue, but our relationship is different. And the way that I approach learning and the way that I approach my own feelings and my own confidence is different. And I think it's, you know, not to be redundant with a little bit ago, but I think it's more kind. Like I want to lean into people, even if I don't always agree that the sky is purple or other topics, like I want to lean in and ask questions versus leaning back and disengaging. Yeah. It makes so much sense. And tell me the sky is blue. Well, there are other colors in it for sure. And on different yeah. days, it can be different. So yeah, yeah, always just the seed of possibility and it allows us to compromise in different ways. And it feels like people walk around in meetings, even in politics, even in, I mean, on a broader level, always believing that they're 100% and not leaving the other possibilities. And you're right, I can see it shutting down so many conversations. What are you doing to instill this idea in your teams or or how have you approached it in the past, especially with someone? I'm thinking about people who have worked in companies. They've had a lot of success. Here comes Jen talking about her 2% rule. Like, <laughs> I know I got the answer. Uh, what, um, uh, you know, how, how do you approach it with them? I do think asking a lot of questions and then continuing to talk, continuing to probe ideas and say, Hey, that's really interesting. Have you had any challenges? Can we make it better? There was a course that I took. I think I was at T-Mobile at the time. I think it was called the coaching leader or the coaching manager. And one of the assignments, it was like a multiple go for two days, then take three days off, go for two days. And one of the assignments was for the next days between these sessions, you weren't allowed to make any statements. You could only ask questions. 
And I was a, a relatively new manager at the time. And I had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder that possibly I was a little younger and I was a female. And I really had to prove that I deserved being the manager of this group. It was a team of maybe four. And um, when they came into my cubicle, I was supposed to be their manager. So I had to have all the answers. And that was me proving that I had been put in a position that, of course, I was the manager. I knew the answers. And so I was like, well, how am I supposed to still be a good manager? If somebody asks me a question and I know the answer, I should give them the answer. This seems so clear to me. So only asking questions was a really difficult assignment. But I was willing to give it a try. And what I found was if I asked a few questions, it might take 30 seconds more. We are not talking about days. 30 seconds more and you would see them come up with the answer. And it's like, again, I can give you 24 hours, but if I can unlock for the rest of the team and they now know the answers, I've now given the business five of us that know the answers versus just one of us. And it wasn't, it wasn't my job to have the answers. It was my job to help my team find the answers. And so it was it was a, a really great workshop that I did at T-Mobile. Uh, kudos to the companies who invest in their people and make those workshops available. Because, I mean, that was many, many, many years ago. And I still think about asking questions mm -hmm. versus using statements. Great. Absolutely love it. I love I love working with groups on that idea. I love reminding myself about it all the time. And, and it's so uh, hard. It's, it's really hard because we have this race against time or this quickness yeah. or this, I've got to get back to my email or rush, 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 rush. And again, it's 30 seconds more to ask a thoughtful question. Beautiful. We talked about earlier Alaskan wisdom about letting people sometimes learn the hard way. And I was thinking that even makes that even more challenging when you're like, they have this answer. I don't think it's going to work, but yeah. sometimes it's, it's the right moment for them to go off and, and try to make work. And maybe they surprise you. Maybe they still fail with it, but sometimes that's, that's valuable training too. Jen, what's your parting thought for our listeners today? Oh, my parting thought is just, find the, find the cool stuff in all the other people, like just ask great questions, find coolness in others. Like, cause it's fascinating though, especially I feel so fortunate at this point in my career because you stumble into greatness and it was, you know, I've only been in my current role for a few months and Yvonne Markman, like a previous leader, introduced me to Tyler Mavius, who is the CEO at Smart Media. And I wouldn't have written out, uh, this is the company I want to go work for. I wouldn't. I would not have written that down. I would not have stumbled upon Smart Media Technologies. But it was through an introduction from Yvonne. He said, I just think people, I think you should know each other. Jen meet Tyler, Tyler meet Jen. And what an awesome human being. And then once I got to know him and the way he talked about his wife and his family and his vision for this company, I was like, oh, tell me more. And then pretty soon I could see his vision. And I was like, this is an amazing opportunity. This is something that I've always wanted to kind of sink my teeth into. So 
that was because not, not the technology that's amazing, not the business model that's amazing, but because Yvonne is an amazing human who took the time to introduce Tyler and I. So I think it's find cool people, introduce them to each other, and just be open to finding great things. Go out there and lead the team. Let's yes. go. Thanks, Jen. I love it. Thank you, Ben, so much. This has been the best start to the week. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.